Welcome to Coffee with Cupkey, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Cupkey, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Cupkey, Raymond Cupkey, the pastor of St. Anthony's in Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Cupkey to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson. My name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson. And here I am with Monsignor Cupkey. So grab your cup of coffee and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. So, uh, Monsignor Cupke, we left uh, the Italians uh, kind of wrapping up with Monsignor The great Chanchi. Carlo Chanchi, yes. And so, uh, in your book, after—and I'm not sure we heard—we uh, read in the book the <clears throat> story of Chanchi and Brady, which was kind of exciting, but— uh, Range warfare in downtown Patterson. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, we're going to leave the Italians, uh, who are— coming in waves, I guess. Yes. And we're going to move to the Poles. Uh, Interesting uh, detail. You said that the government census of 1890 said that there were 3,600 Poles in all of New Jersey. Yes. Whereas Bishop Wigger's report said that there were 5,000 in Newark alone. alone. So what's going on with the discrepancy in numbers? Well, you have um, <clears throat> national boundaries being changed, you know. Um, so the Austro-Hungarian Empire <clears throat> did not always identify Poles as Poles. Okay. For example, <clears throat> my grandfather, who was Slovak, you know, on his uh, entry papers is listed as an Austrian. Okay, and this is on your mother's side. Yeah. Okay. You have Slovak in you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when we get there, you're going to have a lot to say. (laughs) So um, was any of this uh, because there were people here on paper and people here not on paper? I don't think so, not with the Poles. Okay. With the Italians, certainly. The the Italians confuse uh, demographers constantly because they go back and forth. Okay. Uh, Several of the Italians... Many of the Italians uh, emigrated two or three times to the United States. They would come, make some money, and then go back. And then when they needed more money, they'd come back again. And what were immigration laws like at this point? Uh, they kind were pretty strict for oh. permanent residency. residence. But yeah, but you... it was all whether you know whether you were a healthy, okay, and b whether you had a job here. You know, if there was the promise of employment for you. And if you came and you were not healthy? Then I'll send you back, yeah. And if you came and you didn't have a job lined up? Uh, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the Poles... This is, this is when the Italians come, and, it, it, you know, it, it translates into Italian New Jersey even today. You know, um, when the Italians come to the New York metropolitan area, this is the period when uh, there's an enormous building expansion. So, for example, this is the period when streets are being paved, 
when uh, telephone lines are being put underground, when massive buildings are being built. Like the Newark archives have pictures of the Italian stonemasons that worked on Sacred Heart Basilica in Newark because that was being built. Okay. You know, the Essex County Courthouse. The College of St. Elizabeth right next door to us. Yes. You know, and th- those were Italian stonemasons who were working on that. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, this was the work available to them when they first came over. If you think of the Italian community in New Jersey today, the numbers of pavers, the guys who do your driveway, rebuild your steps, all of those small little companies that are heavily, you know, uh, occupied by Italians. This goes back to their first uh, family members who immigrated to the United States because that was the, much like the Irish canal diggers of a century earlier. Okay. This was what was going on in America. This was the industry that needed help. Yeah. So they they funneled in from being farmers in Italy to being construction workers in the, the United States. And you said in the Newark archives? In the archives, the Archdiocese of Newark, they have photos of the Italian stonemasons that worked on uh, Sacred Heart Basilica. I think you would find the same thing in the archives of St. John the Divine in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is when those types of buildings were being built, and it needed a lot of labor. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, some of the other buildings that were... Yeah, the uh, Essex County Courthouse in Newark, uh, the College of St. Elizabeth yeah. next door to us. Okay. I think they have photos as well. Okay. So the, the, we're in the period of um, 19, right around the 1900s. So the, the Italians are coming, and are the Poles coming at the same time? The Poles are coming at the same time. Okay. And everybody's coming at the same time. Wow. Um, it was a very difficult time to be a bishop because you tried to... The intercultural challenges. Yes, yes. and trying trying to provide pastorally mm. for all these different groups. And in many cases, the clergy that first came over uh, were not the best clergy. You know, these were the ones who were having trouble in Europe already. So America looked like a good deal to them, and they would come over and, you know, would... Bishop Wigger, you know, he would try these guys on a, a ad hoc basis, and then it would last six months, and then. Was there a, a, a habit then of appointing administrators first before you appointed pastors? Because that happens now sometimes. Sometimes, okay. yeah, yeah. So the polls coming are Catholic and devout. You say yes. So in many ways, the uh, the Polish identity is interwoven into the Catholic identity, you know, and in a time when Poland itself is not necessarily a viable national country in the way that we know it today, you know, the Polish identity is interwoven with being Catholic. So just remind me, what was there, uh, what was the status of Poland at this time? This is before World War One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're dealing with the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Russian Empire. And so are uh, the Polish people split between? Split between several directions, the German Empire. Okay. You know, uh, and then that will get readjusted again after World War II. Mm. Um, so I think uh, St. Nick's in Passaic was the beginning of Polish outreach. 
St. Nicholas is the only one of the 11 Catholic parishes in Passaic that has boundaries. It is the parish for the entire city of Passaic. Oh. The others are all ethnic parishes. So, you know, once you subtract each group from the mix, you know, St. Nick's has whatever is left. But in its heyday, St. Nick's was much like Dean McNulty in the cathedral. Uh, the was start of the welcoming the committee yeah. for who's yeah. ever coming into town. Okay, except that the the pastor in Saint Nick's uh, was more uh, forward thinking in terms of and more welcoming to these different ethnic groups. And that pastor was uh, Shepherd. Shepherd. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I have him start here that we yeah. we need to talk about him. So Shepherd is not. A Polish name? No, no. Actually, Shepherd is a Patterson boy. Okay. Um, Shepherd Lane, where the Little Sisters of the Poor are. This is his family farm. Wow. And it's Uh, spelled uh, differently than Shepherd. Right. Two two P's A-R-D. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Shepherd and his his evangelizing style. He's, well... He's a mover and a shaker in his day. He will become vicar general of Newark at one point. Okay. But as pastor of St. Nicholas, he was willing to help these different groups get on a foothold in the city of Passaic mm-hmm. as they come in. Oddly enough, the Italians, uh, this is where they start. The oldest Italian parish in the diocese is Sacred Heart in Clifton. Yes. Which starts out for mill workers, you know, uh, silk workers. Oh, yeah, we did. In the botany mills, for the sake. Yeah. But the Poles come late 1880s, early 1890s. Okay. Um, And Shepard kind of helps arrange a priest to come and say Mass for them from Newark. And then gradually, out of that, St. Joseph's is built first and then Holy Rosary at a later date. Okay. So um, I have a note here that the Poles are, we said Catholic and devout, but also fiercely independent and distrustful of authority. Yes, particularly Irish bishops. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, you know, the... How about Irish American bishops? (laughs) Them too. Yeah, okay. Basically, the arrangement in the other side was that whoever built the church owned the church. So in many cases, you know, churches in Eastern Europe are originally built either by local barons, mm. you know, uh, dukes, whatever. A nobleman of some kind. Uh, you know, you know, yeah. a castle chapel Yes. type thing. And and ends up serving the people. Right. Yeah. Or they, they will build a church on their estate for their workers, but they own the church. So in one of your footnotes, you call this the use patronatum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the law of the patron. You know, yeah. Whoever owns it, runs it. Wow. Um, so when they come to this country, they're confronted, you know, A, with this this whole thing about, you know, the, the voluntary Donations. contribution to build a church. No. Yeah. So it takes them a while to get their minds around that, that this is not something that somebody's going to provide for them. Right. 
But then once they get their mind around that, uh, then they say, well, we built it. We paid for we it. We paid for it. We, we are it. the patrons. Right. We are the patrons. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, the, whatever was the custom in Europe continues in this country. So there are some hot fights over this, you know, like surrendering the deed to the church to the bishop was a tough call. Now, why in many of these places? Uh, why were they distrustful of authority? Because they had been bandied about so many times. You know, somebody described Poland for me one time, and this may or may not be accurate. That it's it's like a saucer in the middle of Eastern Europe. It's okay. like flat. Yes, and like armies just roll across it from one direction, then they come back the other way. Yeah. So they have been bandied about by several different. Even even the Swedes have gotten involved in Poland at one point. Wow! So you know they they, they they're do, an area yeah. that's overdue for their own independence. Yeah, and was it was it um so uh, uh, rebellion against civil authority, but also ecclesiastical authority? So, yeah, especially if it's not Polish. Oh, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah, if yeah. it's somebody else who's who's bossing. Basically, there will develop in the United States a schismatic Polish church, the Polish National Catholic Church. Yeah, so we're, and we're going to get there, but right. but, but, so, but it, was Shepherd was Shepherd involved in in any way with this fierce independence and this? I think he was aware of it, but he was know, working hard for them. Yeah. And there were so many groups, it was hard to keep them straight. You know, uh, you can imagine for Irish and Irish-American priests who have no knowledge of Eastern Europe yes. to suddenly have all of these groups coming and insisting that they're different from one another. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it blew their minds. You know, uh, they were dealing with a, a whole area that, you know, there, there's the famous scene between Archbishop Ireland in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the first Byzantine priest to come to the United States. And, you know, Ireland had no experience of this. You know, th this may have been a footnote in a church history book he read in the seminary yeah, yeah, 35 yeah, years yeah. earlier, but he had yeah. no practical Knowledge no. of the Eastern Rites. No, or, no. Yeah, and when, yeah. when, when the guy told him that, uh, you know, he was married, <laughs> you know, Ireland just, his eyes bugged out and he threw him out of the, the office. Yeah. So you're no Catholic priest. Now, this is an aside, but was Bishop Ireland Irish? No, he was American born. How do you end up with a name like Ireland? He was Irish, but, yeah. you know, Irish American. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So 1897 I have here is the formation of the Polish... National Catholic Church. Church. And how does this happen and what's going on? Basically, you have a lot of resentment among many of the Poles over a number of issues. One of them is the hierarchy, you know, uh, which is entirely at this point Irish. Okay. They have the Germans. It's not so bad, I don't think. Well, the Germans have just barely managed to get one or two bishops, you know, yeah. in the— Wigger. Well, yeah, and German also American. like in Milwaukee yeah. and okay. that area. Yeah. But other than that, it's, you know— Predominantly— it's All Irish. Yeah. So uh, 
the fact that they are squeezed out of the hierarchy altogether as their numbers grow. But in addition to that, there are the issues of providing, you know, uh, in their own language for them. Not that they're saying mass in Polish. This is you know, this is still in yeah. Latin, but people to preach here confessions, yes. devotions. Yeah, which would know. be big. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, um, the issue of the um, their sense that they are oppressed mm. by the the bishops and and the the local pastors. Thirdly, the the fact that um, of the Ownership of the church. This is a big yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I have a note that uh, I can't remember who, but somebody bought property without asking. The Holy Rosary of Passaic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they just decided they were going to start a church or something? or They wanted a second church in Passaic. And I think it also has to do with what part of Poland they were from oh, okay. on the other side. Um, yeah, and they... They just they they incorporate themselves, you know. Uh, and so uh, when somebody pushes back, they decide to go on their own. They do. Um, bishop O'Connor, by this point, the fourth bishop of Newark, um, he's much better at this than Wigger was. Than Wigger was, but, yeah. You know, he he knew when to. I'm just realizing we haven't used the joke. We're wigged out. We did. We, did we use? <laughs> I don't think we ever use it. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. O'Connor was a little bit more suave and political, and and yeah, you he know, was, he, he knew when to press the Irish and, American, and yeah, and knew when to like back off and say, "All right, they're going to do it anyway." Yeah, you know, maybe I should just let them go ahead yeah, and do this, and yeah. so by, by his time, things were beginning to calm down. But you know, that also happened in Bootin with uh, Saint Cyril and Methodius. They also jumped the gun before O'Connor. Was able to, but they didn't go independent. No, but but the other folks did. The, did somebody start St. Peter and St. Paul? In? Yeah, there there had already been a split in Passaic earlier, uh, creating a whole PNCC ethnic parish, Polish National Catholic, Catholic Church. Church. Yeah, so that when uh, Holy Rosary bank. begins to, uh, you know suggests that they're going to incorporate another poll. You know, O'Connor... Oh, decides he's going to yeah. soft-pedal it. Soft-pedal yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But the the whole issue of ownership of the church, and then the other one that they cite over and over again is Midnight Mass on Christmas. Yes. You know, this is a big deal for the Irish-American clergy. Their major struggle... You know, at the time, was alcoholism, mm. um, and they saw midnight mass in their experience as an occasion for drunkenness yes. and, and rioting and everything. Yes. So, the diocese of Newark banned, as many American dioceses did, banned midnight mass on Christmas. So, when the poles get here, they can't understand this. with this. Rich, rich Christmas Eve tradition. Vigilia, is it? The Vigilia, right, yeah. which ends with Midnight Mass on Christmas. You know, and all of a sudden, there's some Irish bishop telling them they can't have this. Wow. You know, this is a big, big, big deal. They, I'm going to— one, one pastor in the Midwest actually got shot <laughs> over this issue. So. Okay. 
<laughs> that's the third time I think we've, we've had shootings on this. It was, it was the Wild the West, yeah. even though it was from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just have to interject here. When I was a young priest at St. Peter's in Parsippany, we had the um, masses in the auditorium and masses in the small church. Right. And Monsignor Kevin Flanagan became the pastor from Ireland. And I don't know if it was our first or second Christmas in the auditorium, but we had midnight mass at that point. Yeah. And um, people would uh, um, be packed in. But they also would be coming from Christmas parties. Eve celebrations. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot, back then it was a lot of young adults who would come. Yeah. And it was pretty dicey. Well, the, I've, the, the year that... Um, a drunken young man stumbled into the credence table at the back of church, not the, the church where the gifts were mm-hmm. at the back, knocking over the hosts and the wine that were going to be brought up. I knew that uh, Flanagan had had it. So <laughs> midnight mass next year became, I think, 10 o'clock mass. Yeah. 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 So, well, this was what the, you know, the American bishops were dealing with. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and they that, were, that was 19, 19- 80s, the end yeah, of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, we've talked about this before. This was a whole social issue that was yeah, the right in the front of their concerns. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you think of what Dean McNulty did to try and combat this on a weekly basis, yes. you know, midnight mass on Christmas was a no-brainer. We just Yeah, have right, it. right. Wow. Nothing to incite them. Well, when we uh, meet again... We're going to uh, maybe just touch finally on the polls, and then we're going to move to your people, the Slovaks. Oh, the little Slovaks, yes. Yes, so we'll, we'll start with them the next time we get together. All right. Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Cupkey. In order to stay on top of new releases, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell for notifications. While you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the diocese. Those shows are Beyond the Beacon, hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our Director of Communications. And the Paul Street Journal, hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Janexi, our sound and visual engineer, Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre and post production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Cupkey, keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson. <laughs>